0: Welcome to the Good People Podcast, where each episode we explore what it means to be good by talking to everyday heroes, philanthropists, altruists, and do-gooders. I'm Kelsey Timmerman, author of Where Am I Giving? A global venture exploring how to use your gifts and talents to make a difference. I'm joined by my good buddy, Jay Mormon. Jay, how's it going?
1: Good, Kelsey. How are you?
0: Good, and we're actually together.
1: Physically in the same room.
0: And we're drinking beer, which really gets back to our roots. Uh, We
1: we needed to do a root episode just where we came from this is it we've gotten so big you have to remember where you started it's
0: true yeah yeah it is definitely true so we have a really exciting episode today. We're going to be talking with Joe Houston of Give Directly.
1: Yeah, I'm excited about this one.
0: And we've actually talked about Give Directly, I think. We've had so many episodes, all 20. I can't remember what they all are. <laughs> <laughs> it's so sad. There's only 20, right? I still don't remember. But we've I, never interviewed him before. We, I, I, know I, 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 <laughs> I know that. I hope not. I know that. I hope not. Um, but I think we've talked about GiveDirectly maybe a tad bit. In one episode, we talked about effective altruism. Right, yeah. Yeah. Um, so give directly gives money directly to the poor, right? And and I remember the time that George W. Bush gave me six hundred dollars.
1: Wow, yeah, I remember that too. Yeah, yeah, and you went and spent that, or did you stick it under your mattress? Uh,
0: one pair of jeans. That's a throwback. That's to another episode throwback to another. Or I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, in 2008, there was the stimulus. The financial crisis was just getting started. It wasn't, I think this was like in the spring of 2008. It wasn't oh, yeah. even like full on, like the fall where the world was ending and the yeah. titans of industry were getting together and like, well, how are we going to pull out of this? It was 2008. And yeah. I think that. Um, you got about $300 per adult in your family, depending on your income.
1: Something like that. Yeah. yeah. You yeah. Were,
0: you had a like a big boy job. You probably didn't get any money. I do not remember, honestly. <laughs> 2008? No, I probably didn't. I, I have no idea what we spent it on. We probably spent it on food.
1: Well, that sounds...
0: Well, that, well <laughs> I mean, we probably went out to eat. Because without it. Oh, you yeah. went out to eat. I don't okay. know. I don't remember what we spent $600 on. But um, only... You know the the purpose of that was to stimulate the economy and for people to spend. And it's kind of a throwback to his comment after September 11th. Remember what he said? Mm-mm. Like uh everyone go shopping.
1: Oh right! Yeah. Remember yeah. just yeah. like move the get the economy moving, spend money. Get yeah. Go to Disney World.
0: Started. Buy a flat screen TV from yeah. China. Yeah. Like <laughs> yeah. So much of our our society depends on spending. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. The engine. But uh, the 2008 stimulus only like one third of the stimulus was actually spent. Then everyone else just kind of like yeah. kept it, like sweet. Yeah, yeah. Six hundred bucks.
1: Feels a lot like the uh, tax cuts here recently. Most of the companies spent a third of it, and the rest of it went to stock buybacks and that type of thing. So you have to listen to the daily if you want to hear the rest well, of that.
0: That is uh, the opposite of what Give Directly does. Given <laughs> not giving money to the poor necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. Given money to the rich maybe yeah
1: that 's yeah give directly as an opposite mission of that so what 's the difference we had uh, We had an episode on um, uh, perceptions of and our impressions of Kiva now Kiva gives money to people, but it is uh, to people that need it to poor. The poor people that, uh, you know, like farmers or somebody that may want to invest money or do something, start a business. What's the difference between Kiva and Give Directly? Is there Are they basically the same thing?
0: Well, not really at all. So, you know, our episode title for Kiva was, Is Kiva the Shake Weight of Do-Gooding? Which mm-hmm. Joe actually listened to that episode. Uh, yeah, yeah. I was, someone listened to this, Jay. I know, and, and it, it was Joe. <laughs> yeah, it was like the chief financial officer of Give Directly. so it was... I was like mortified that he had listened to it and I was excited all all at the same time. Yeah. yeah. So, Kiva um they basically it's it's a loan that you have to pay back. Right. Right. And, Which we talked about that. Yeah. So, it's not it's not giving at at all. And and some um you know Kiva loans money to gives money to lenders who then lend out the money. So, it's kind of like a third party yeah. Involved, and
1: then you have the whole disconnect about who actually gets the money.
0: And then sometimes the rates that the lender that Kiva gave the money to, sometimes their interest rates are really, really high. Mm. Uh, and then the studies that have been done on Kiva and on on not necessarily Kiva but micro lending, which is what Kiva practices, like small mm-hmm. loans, um, shows not a lot of impact in those okay. studies. Right. Where give directly, they give money directly mm. to. People who are in a community where there's a lot of poverty, and they're like spend it however you want, mm-hmm. and a lot of that money gets spent like on robes and yeah, um, you know, within that village. Yeah,
1: and it's it's and and there is no payback to it. It is a you need money, we're going to give you money, and goes from there. That's it. Yeah. no okay. strings attached. That's quite different.
0: So uh, yeah, so there's the lump sum and there's the universal basic income. And if you haven't heard of a universal basic income before, you may have i guess more recently because of a presidential candidate Andrew yang, yeah, right so are, are you a uh what do they call them a a yang a yang-yak? yang 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 <laughs> <laughs> that's not what it is that's something else. yang gang. Is, I just invented a new one. Oh, gosh that's Yangi
1: Yangiak yeah uh, um I have been impressed by him, I'm kind of a peak guy myself, but um
0: Indiana. Well, he makes us look like we're Pete. not a bunch of Mike Pence's. Oh, Penses. he's
1: so great. Uh, yeah, because we're not. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, but that's kind of uh, Andrew's main purpose in the campaign, right, is he is he wants to press this idea because he thinks it'll have the biggest impact on, uh, on how the country operates. And uh, I don't know how much traction he's getting for that. He doesn't seem to be in the front, but he's getting a lot of press coverage.
0: I can't imagine he actually got into the race thinking he would win. I don't know, but like he's really ele- like so, there was one candidate that was in there just for climate change. Basically. Right. Right. Yeah. And um, I'm all for that. Yeah. Especially early on. Maybe we need to be thin the herd a little bit now. Yeah, but yeah. it says promote the message of, of inter- introduce these concepts to the American public. Yeah. You know, make some really good points about A.I. taking a lot of jobs and yeah. what what are people for? Yeah. Uh, what are people going to do right. in the future? Yeah. How are they going to earn money?
1: Yeah. And this is a specifically, uh, it's uh, at least in, in people I know, this is a very touchy subject and I've debated it with folks before, but, um, uh, you know, that free money and the sort of unmotivated labor, um, doesn't, um, doesn't cause people to be better. It doesn't cause them, it causes them to be lazy. It causes them to be complacent. That's, that's the th- theory i hear i don't and, and the interesting thing about what we got through the podcast was this study which was 60 something pages 70 pages yeah, it was, it was, like
0: was a lot i forwarded it to you i didn't even look and then you yeah read it i'm quite
1: convinced i read more of it than you did i think so but the math equations in it were crazy but it was interesting because it showed the approach and um uh, how they went about distributing the money and then measuring the result, and the results were um, uh, pretty compelling. I think um, that it not only brought up the the income of the receiver, but also of those um, non receivers in villages and people around them, which is uh, interesting. So I guess it comes back to your goal: what what do you want the world to be, and how yeah. do you want it to operate, and how do we get there?
0: I especially think in the United States, we've kind of have this some of these. Baked in things of how to help or not help people. And I feel like one of them is don't give money to the poor. It is like if you see a homeless person, oh don't give them money. Yeah, but you take them to the store and buy them a cheeseburger. Mm-hmm. And we actually just did for the facing project, which is a project we work on it together. We just did an episode for our local NPR show on homelessness and like 94% of the individuals who you give money to who are panhandlers uh, spend it on food. But we're all like, oh, they're going to spend it on drugs yep, and alcohol. Yeah, and That's what we think. So I really think it's like this unwritten rule crafted around the distrust of the poor as if poverty is solely a character flaw.
1: Yeah, I think that's the key. And capitalism values values ingenuity and growth and coming out of... Um, it's a survival of the fittest sort of game. And I think uh, we are so into that that we look at the iPhone and say, see, without capitalism, we wouldn't have these sorts of inventions. Uh, People wouldn't be this passionate to find a destination or to make money or to drive innovation. Mm -hmm. And I just don't know if that's true.
0: So, like, it's acceptable to gifted an organization that supports the poor. But as for, like, a poor person themselves, like, We just imagine what irresponsible things that Mm. they would do with the money. And so I think a lot of it comes down to like some of these myths are giving money to the poor is giving them a fish and not teaching them to fish. Mm. It's not sustainable, which actually is not from the Bible. I have some from some philosopher. I think. Oh, it isn't. Yeah. Maybe it was. Maybe the Bible plagiarized it. from. I'm going
1: back in the Bible part of my brain. I don't think it is. Shrinking day to day.
0: Along with the rest of your brain. Keep going. Uh, The homeless man will spend it on booze. So buy him a cheeseburger. The single mom will treat your kids to an Xbox. The child beggar is part of a large crime syndicate that takes the money back. I don't know if maybe that's just me that came up with that. (laughs) Maybe you've experienced But this, I mean, that happens sometimes in like India and stuff. Yeah, Yeah. So Give Directly is challenging all of these narratives that we've painted of why we shouldn't give money. To people who live in poor and kind of really head-on challenges some of them, yeah. And um, so researchers at the World Bank found that more than eighty percent of those receiving cash transfers spent less on booze and cigarettes after receiving the funds, and less than five percent five percent spent more. Yeah, it's so like 80 percent. They spent less. Um, And so this is what that report concluded. They said, we should stop worrying that the poor are going to spend or waste or transfer income on alcohol and tobacco. They aren't.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah, which is – so the part I like about that so much, and we'll talk about this afterwards some, is just the reliance on data. Yeah. So if we're looking to really make an improvement, let's try something like they did across these statistically managed villages in Kenya – distribute money over one period of time and see how it worked and measure the result, do it a different way again and measure the result. Um, Data should tell us whether we're solving that problem or not. And and, you know, if the data shows one way doesn't work, we should try something else. Um, But uh, data seems the only way to have this debate and we need to bring it forward. And it sounds like they're making a real effort to do that. And I'll tell you, that would be, that's, that's talk about doing good and being good people. I would love to, volunteer for or give money to something, can you imagine being a, uh, an economic statistician or whatever it would be that would work on that sort of stuff? You could come back and help compile some oh, of yeah. that data and figure out what path is imp- yeah. influencing those, impacting those human beings. I, I'd love that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, are you a, a economic statistician? No. Oh, okay. I no, I right.
1: hated stats and oh. I hated economics, micro and macro. Oh, so wow. Well.
0: No. Hmm. So, uh, some more stats before we introduce Joe. I just said I don't like stats. Oh. oh. Yeah, you did. <laughs> this is for you. A study conducted over two years found that for every $1,000 given through direct cash transfers, income increased by $270, assets by $430, and the amount spent on nutrition increased $330. Wow. That's great. So, let's get out of the way. Let's get to Joe's interview. Um So, introduction for Joe, he's, uh, prior to heading GiveDirectly's finance uh, function, Joe spent three years managing operations for GiveDirectly in Kenya and Uganda. Joe joined GiveDirectly after working in the research and trading departments at the asset management firm Bridgewater Associates. He holds a BA in economics from Dartmouth College. So without further ado, Joe Houston. Joe Houston, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. So uh we I was in Kenya uh, researching Where Am I Giving in two thousand and seventeen uh, and had a chance to experience the good work that uh Give Directly was doing on the ground. Did you happen to be in Kenya at that time? In twenty seventeen
2: it's it's possible. I lived in Kenya in twenty fourteen and twenty fifteen and then moved to Uganda for uh, 2015 and 2016 before moving back to the states but have still made it back a decent amount but uh, probably not but, but certainly possible
0: I'm sure that we uh, spent some time in the same uh, villages right right for sure do you... uh, or the same public transportation at least <laughs> yeah uh, do you know Benter uh, which uh, sub county is that oh man I don't I, I, I'd have to look uh, Benter Wandolo. She's, uh, uh, she's this woman and farmer. She's kind of like the uh, matriarch of this village, it seemed to be. So she's uh, – I had a chance to meet several people. I just – uh, I figured that uh, – because you guys were so accommodating, and I think that says a lot. Um, so right. doing the work that I do, uh, showing up places and wanting to talk to people who are impacted by a program or sometimes a corporation – and a lot of times uh, those organizations don't really open up their doors to me. And mm-hmm. the, the experience with give directly was basically all access. Talk to anyone you want. We'll help facilitate that. We'll give you some ideas of where you could go. And I just really appreciate that.
2: Yeah. I mean, if anything, we'd love for that to be more. Uh, it, it's a, you know, our, our whole model is about trying to not be much of an intermediary, to be a pretty direct pipe between people who are giving and, and people who need some cash. And um, if we could intermediate less on the communications pieces of it as well, I, we'd
0: love that. And so, um, yeah. And we're also joined by Jay today. Hey, Jay, how's it going? Good. Sorry,
1: I was uh, trying to keep myself from being noisy. Uh, great, I'm uh, I'm I'm excited to talk about this topic, and I had a long discussion about um, universal basic income with somebody this week. So I'm looking forward to getting into the details of this stuff.
0: Well, hopefully, you can walk away with some new arguments today. So, Jay, what was your what where, what direction did your discussion start from? Uh,
1: the discussion started from just the idea of um, the sort of technology boom, automation boom, and what that does to the economy, jobs, people's ability to be employed, and what really is available for um, earning a living wage uh, across the world. And things are moving exponentially, as we've seen, and does something like universal basic income become more important in the next 10, 15, 20 years, not just for places like Kenya, but for, you know, developed countries, the United States and many others. So um, that's kind of where we went to is there's at some point going to be a monopoly of technology that's going to shut most everything else down. What are we going to do about the quality of a living for people around the world?
0: So Joe, so the idea of uh, universal basic income is not necessarily a new one. Do you find that it's gaining more traction because exactly what Jay just said, the the um, AI that's, that's making people less necessary in, in jobs and less able to make an income on their own. That's certainly big,
2: been a huge piece of, I think the rise over the last few years, um, in part led by the folks making companies that, uh, very well may automate us out of jobs. Uh, and they have been sort of driving a lot of the conversation, at least in the U.S. The Guilty uh, conscious, making up for it. <laughs> right. Right. I think outside of the U.S., uh, it's popped up in a few different places with different motivations, you know, India or Brazil, I think it's a lot more just about absolute poverty and inequality, automation aside. Um, You know, when it was big in Switzerland, there was certainly some about robots and automation, but I think some of it was also just, they already have a very generous safety net and it's almost uh, not an efficiency question, but a sort of iteration question around how much do you want to be, targeting and trying to find the poorest people versus having a sort of simple floor. Um, and so it's funny which room I end up going into, which one of those things ends up being the focus.
0: Mm-hmm. So what personally led you into this work? How did, what, what was your path at a, at a college to finding what you do now? Um, so my first job out of college was at a hedge fund.
2: Um, And so from there, it's just sort of a straight shot to give directly. Uh, (laughs) No, uh, at at the hedge fund, um, it it was interesting stuff, hard problems. um, But I at least wasn't one of those people who really loves that stuff. You know, some people really love finance and that certainly wasn't me. Um, And so I kind of always knew in the back of my head that I wanted to work on something I cared about more at at some point. Um, And then a few years into that, I was trying to get more into uh, development space um the folks who started GiveWell actually originally were working at my hedge fund um, and so i kind of was an earlier fo- early follower of that and so was donating in, in small amounts to uh those kind of top charities um and so follow was following give directly as a fan uh, initially um and then i met uh GiveDirectly's co-founder through a friend uh when GiveDirectly was still his uh side gig at the time mm. and uh very quickly in the kind of first conversation with him over beer has realized, oh, this, this is the thing I'll uh, be doing next. Um, and so from there, you know, left Westport, Connecticut, and I moved to Kenya pretty quickly short after. So
1: Joe, what, you know, that's an interesting story, especially going from the sort of uh, hedge fund, major capitalist side of the jobs in the United States. You obviously are not making as much money as you could have been at this point. Um, which I realize is an all important. Um, Did you, do you find yourself with greater purpose now? Is this, is that, was that transition difficult? We've talked to a few people who have really turned a life from what, you know, your parents would think is something traditional that you should go do and earn a good, earn a living and, and, you know, drive a Mercedes and all that stuff to, to going into something that is, that is more purposeful. Did you find that transition hard?
2: Um, I think, I think mostly no. That uh, um, it felt right in, in a number of ways. I, I think there, it's certainly hard to adjust to uh, adjust your spending levels or adjust what you you know thought is a sort of normal week of spending. Um, trying to find friends who are, are are spending lower amounts, I think, can help. <laughs> uh, um, it, it also helped that I moved, totally switched locations um that it, it sort of felt more natural like uh, oh this is my new mm. life uh, I live in Kisumu, Kenya versus uh um trying to live a much different life right in uh in Connecticut yeah. um but also at the time when I was working at, at this hedge fund I think I sort of always knew that I, I shouldn't get used to it um <laughs> and, and so there <laughs> there was a little bit of this sense of like sure you know take it in see what see what's here while, while uh while you're there but uh um, this this very well be maybe the most money you ever earn, uh, you know, at twenty five or something.
1: Yeah, it's good perspective for sure. Gives you an an idea of the people you're trying to raise money from, um, and where that funding is, what their lives are like, and what their choices are. Yeah.
0: So when um, you when you see people kind of like have uh, they started that job at twenty five and now are still in that job and um, you know have all the things that that job can afford. Um, and maybe they're not giving that much. Like, how, how, do you want to shake them? Like, <laughs> like this is the, the the world that we. This is not reality. What you're living in, and I'm. Not, I i do not want to put words in your mouth, but this is this is how I feel sometimes. I, you know, I see people that have um, have so much, and they don't give uh, much at all. That at least that I'm aware of, and and I want to like force them to read my books like prop open their eyeballs and just like whatever the whatever the you know force feeding the person instead of force feeding force reading i don't know if that's possible but um well i promise i'll now force them to read your books uh
2: <laughs> i think if anything i think um the sort of drastic shift from working at hedge fund to working at gift directly is less helpful for those conversations because i think some people are like ah, yeah you know i'd love to do more good but uh you know i'm starting to have kids now you know it's just like it's not realistic to move to kenya so that's that um and i i would wish i had more examples of the kind of incremental path you know there's a decent case that i should have just stayed at the hedge fund and donated a lot more money um, versus uh working directly myself um and i think trying to sell people on what a kind of crazy, exciting opportunity it is that um, not just give directly, but um, evidence action or against malaria that these types of nonprofits exist, that you can do whatever your day job is and you should make your peace with what effect that's happening on the world. But as almost a side gig, having uh, an incredible amount of impact on other people, I've been, it's more, I I want to get good at selling that because I I think a lot of people giving 10% um, or you know, 5% or 15% can have that can b- become the like story of the, the impact of their life in a way that um, mm-hmm. I, I think feels a lot more unattainable to people if they don't want to become, um, you know, fly off to Kenya or Uganda or something.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um so, how would you uh, like describe uh, give directly to like in a nutshell? <clears throat> like,
2: um, for the so first give directly. Give directly is a nonprofit, and we give cash directly to people who need it. Um, usually, that's working in rural places of sub-Saharan Africa. that we've done a few projects outside of there. Um, Usually, it's giving one-time grants. Though we're also doing this large, uh, universal basic basic income experiment, where the the payments are recurring. So I'm going out twelve years. Uh, but the basic idea is, we want the vast majority of GiveDirectly's budget to be spent by the people we're trying to help, no strings attached.
0: Yeah, I mean it's literally no strings attached. They they just do, and and you kind of kindly ask them to. Do, do they even report it back? Of how they spent the money. Um, we'll ask
2: folks w- when we. I, I don't know if you, when you visited, you saw the call centers. Um, but after we send money, we call people up to make sure they got it, and then for a subset of those, we'll ask them uh, a variety of questions. What are your priorities? What are your biggest challenges? Where do you spend the money? Um, but not for a, a as an audit, um, more just to, uh, to try to uh, communicate to donors and folks like that what people's needs are. Um, and what, where their priorities are?
1: Yeah. And Joe, that, that was in my, uh, prep for the, for the, um, pod today. I looked up in, <clears throat> in the website, which I'd seen before reading, especially in Kelsey's book. Um, but, uh, I thought was, what was a differentiator for you guys is the process you follow. Um, you don't just walk through the villages and hand out hundred dollar bills, right. <clears throat> in whatever currency I, I know it's not a dollar, um, but that you go through and you vet the area, you target areas, um, you take a take independent checks, um, check for bribes, uh, image verification, data consistency, all that kind of stuff. Um, transfer the money, and then those call centers do follow up. Um, I think it's an interesting way uh, to to distribute the money, and it and it really seems different than what we've seen in some of the others. Uh, we had a one of our pods was about Kiva. Um, uh, I think this is something differently. There's something different about how you follow that process. Do you know how that was developed or or you have any comments about why that is the way it is?
2: Um, I think it helps to that that we've gotten to focus that we sort of been able to do one thing. And then I think relative to, to Akiva or something like that, it's helped that we've always owned the full process that, uh, you know, some, some organizations can really perfect sub granting and they find partners and they get really good at the sort of process of vetting other nonprofits. Okay. Um, but our sort of arc, you know, the first version of it was, uh, Michael and Rohit, our co-founders, uh, wandering around Kenya, handing out bills and just sort of saying like, can we make this work? Do people think this is crazy? <laughs> uh, you know, asking people for phone numbers and then texting them cash. Um, and then we sort of built process from there. And so, Hmm. Um, you know, what it looks like today is uh, we're choosing an area based off of data on poverty, and we've sort of mapped out we're going to go here, here, and here um, over the next few years. Um, we're then beginning uh, in a village with a town hall meeting to try to explain w- what's about to happen because it's as weird a proposition in Kenya as it would be in the US or anywhere <laughs> else uh, that somebody's about to go door to door signing people up to get cash. Um, and then, yeah, there's these sort of multiple rounds of independent checks where basically every time we found either that there was an issue with fraud or an issue with, uh, their kind of recipient's experience, maybe they weren't getting one part of the program or they kept having problems signing up for mobile money. Um, it was like, okay, well, let's add another conversation somewhere down the line. Um, and with those for that sort of peaked at, uh, five conversations per recipient. And as, as we've cut it down a little bit since then to try to, um, save costs, but, Um, It was sort of just a kind of building up. Um, The call centers originally were two people with cell phones sharing an Excel sheet. Uh, These days, it's a little bit uh, higher tech than that. But uh, it's been very much just kind of like trying to experiment with what works. And we benefited from being able to do the same thing again and again and again.
1: Yeah, and I I read, and Kelsey, maybe we can put a link in the show notes to the, uh, economic study that, um, that Joe sent us. Um, reading that, I think the most interesting thing was that the, the, um, the impact of the donations made to people within those villages, not only affected those people, it affected non-recipients. So, do you, I, you know, the thing I was thinking about that is, is, You know, some cultures are different, all cultures are different, but in terms of sharing and community, um, I tend to think in the United States, so much of the wealth independence truly breeds independence and isolation in some ways, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering if the the village and sort of um, community base of Kenya um, may have helped that process. In other words, you give to one family and you see it benefit. Um, others in the village and other people around, Mm -hmm. how much of that is cultural and how much is that is just a pure economic equation?
2: Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I'm curious what the the researchers researchers would say on this. I mean, we shouldn't discount the economics that, you know, at, at least if you try to sort of trace the dollar, a big piece of it is, you know, not coming from Uh, at least pure altruism. It's coming from people trading with each other and, you know, they're able to isolate the effects a lot to uh, wages that people are sort of getting more out of their labor uh, because Mm -hmm. uh, there's just a lot sort of more commerce going on. And so I think we shouldn't discount that. Um, At the same time, we do see a a lot of interesting kind of different community projects or things like that. Um, Something we saw at the basic income project is a lot of people want to turn small monthly payments into big chunks of cash that you can use for an investment or something like that. Um, And so people would start these kind of table banking arrangements where you write down a ledger and uh, every month, whoever is top of the ledger would get everybody's payments or 50% of everybody's payments. Um, And so that's a way that kind of within a village, you can turn uh, recurring streams going to everybody into sort of a rotating big chunk of money going mm. to one person. Right. Um, and so we see stuff like that all the time. We saw people kind of band together to pay for tutors uh, for their kids in, in one village. Um, and so there's certainly an element of that. And I, uh, sir, and I, it, it's a part city versus rural. You know, I, I, small towns in America, I think have more of a common bond than a mm-hmm. New York City. And so uh, I don't know how much of it is that versus culture but there is certainly an element of uh people working with their neighbors to to spend the money the best they can right Uh, to to
0: kind of follow up on jay's question is there um any concerns are being looking looking at um the impact that this could have on the culture uh could could it create more individualism uh has, has that been you know, as as we have more safety nets in place, or we have, um, you know, we, we don't have to rely on our family members so much or our friends so much. I mean, Jay's giving me money all the time. Thanks, Jay. He's going to buy me dinner tonight at a fancy restaurant. I appreciate it, Jay. Oh, I
1: didn't. I don't remember that.
0: Okay, well, um, well, I'm just going to. If I had a lot of money, Jay, I wouldn't have to ask you for that. <laughs> but does it impact the? Do you do you foresee that it could impact? um the the bonds of a community whatsoever is that a concern it's
2: certainly it's certainly possible i i, get, I think a risk with get Directly's model is that it's a big intervention um, and uh, the upside of that is that you see you know really great stories of people's lives that look fundamentally different um, and I think the downside is relative to something like deworming or animal aerial nets, um, you do have to get comfort with, this is a big change in, in people's lives and a, a sort of noticeable discreet one. Um, we try to get at that some via, um, in part, uh, some community level surveys. And so looking at things like crime or payments towards local government or payments towards local schools, and then some of the kind of psychological surveys and so, in this paper and some of the other ones, we use standardized indices of depression and happiness and what your goals are. And so, but those are more still kind of at the individual level, but trying to pick up. Sure, the economics of this place have changed, but what is life like? Um, those things still seem to point towards people feel happier, better off, less stressed. Um, but, uh, but, but I think it's a a, a worthwhile question. Um, where we've run into it the most is um, is how much of the society we should pay. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we are initially getting started, we had much more of the mentality that we should choose very, very poor areas. And then we should find the poorest third of people living in those areas or something like that and only give to them because that'll maximize impact. Um, and I think over time, partly the idea that that maximizes impact might not be right. It could be that, people who are slightly better off maybe are more generous or trade more with their neighbors or something like that, or can invest more versus consuming or something like that. Um, and then also that uh, trying to kind of moneyball impact at that uh, local of a level uh, just may not be worth it in terms of the, whatever social awkwardness it creates or something or anything like that. And so uh, this, the study that uh, is just coming out is looking at a program where we are enrolling about 30%. These days, not just in the UBI study, but in a bunch, we're trying to enroll basically everyone in the
0: communities where we work. Um, yeah. That's one thing I really appreciate about what you guys do is that you, um, when something doesn't work, you, you say that it doesn't work, or, hey, we're trying this, and we don't know if it will work. And I think that's something that's really unique to the uh, EA movement, uh, really unique to give directly, because there's a lot of uh, nonprofits that, that I think don't do that, 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 um, just share the stories and the stats of the things that do work and don't. So to me, that's a, that's a big sign of, of great transparency, but also of an organization that is willing to learn and, um, evolve. So what are some of the newest things that you're learning right now? And what are some more questions that you all have? Hmm. So I think, uh,
2: Some of the newest things, this study, we're still trying to digest in a a bunch of different ways. And so Jay's right that the kind of basic finding is rural Western Kenya, you give cash to some people, the people around them benefit. They trade with each other. And the benefit is huge that people are spending and earning about as much more as the people who got the cash uh, a year later, which is kind of nuts. Um, A question that I've been wrestling with uh, with our research director, and with some of the ops folks, is uh, how much does that generalize? Um, So Western Kenya is one thing, but we also worked in Liberia, uh, which is a lot more remote. Um, And there is a study out there that looked at uh, the Philippines and did a similar type of thing of trying to figure out what are the effects on non-recipients. And and there, uh, the markets were a lot more remote. Um, So it was was almost set up to be an economics uh, case study. Uh, It's sort of very, very remote islands. And so there's less sort of interconnectedness with markets. And they found that if you give cash to some people and not others, people who got the cash bought um, especially perishable proteins um, that then sort of drove up the price of those things, things like eggs or or meat that, you know, can't stay out that long and are important for nutrition. And non-recipients were worse off. Mm. Um, And so going into this I at least learned about this study a couple of years ago. And so was eagerly awaiting the results from this one to try to understand, is that a thing that happens when markets are just really broken? Does that happen in general uh, with big cash programs? Um, but if that then sort of gives you two data points on a spectrum of in really remote areas, uh, maybe it looks like that in kind of remote, uh, but uh, you know, sort of just more nor- normal rural areas. It looks like what these results are showing. Um, how do you then think through what should we be doing in Liberia or some of the places where it's uh, most remote? Remote. Um, the other thing that's strange is if you believe these results, uh, most of the impact of the cash transfers, if you sort of add it up in the society, was not borne by the recipients of the cash transfers, um, and which is a kind of weird... We, we, I think we think about aid a lot is especially this type and the sort of effective altruist type of aid is like you help that person, you can add up the people you help and that's the impact. Um, but if what you're doing is mostly a, a sort of social or you know a, a bigger group that you're affecting, how that should how you should think about which places you should go to, how many of those places you should enroll. Maybe you should be trying to uh, only enroll a few because that's the most efficient. Um, there's a kind of a bunch of questions like that that I don't know. I'm, I'm at least still, still, still
0: thinking through. Yeah. And in the course of um, my work, um, you know, I, I came in very early on with uh, you know, Peter Singer's The life you can save and, and contact with these kind of ideas. And, and I thought my book was going to be kind of the analytical kind of find a formula of how you can be like a good person, like how much of you should Mm -hmm. give, how much you should give and where you should give. And, and and I, I do believe that there's real importance in, in that quantification of, of impact that we all can make. Um, but then I also kept seeing that, I, I felt almost like the most important ways that you could make a difference were somewhat immeasurable in terms of an individual that you helped at a certain time, whether it was resources and, and then who do they go on to help. So like, to some extent, I feel like it's almost impossible to quantify the the ultimate good that could come from um mm. uh, an, an act of giving but also even of a, of a cash transfer how do you and i really appreciate that you're kind of looking at this broader community and, and the impact that it's having on uh people that it didn't even receive that money uh and maybe it's you know I, I believe that giving is something that should connect us with one another and, and with um with issues that we want to be engaged with uh and and maybe that's what we're seeing too. Maybe that it is uh, kind of increasing these social bonds a little bit with these cash injections. I don't know. I don't really have a question. I'm just saying that I've I constantly had the struggle as I was writing and thinking about these topics as traveling around the world of of can can this be quantified or uh, this person is doing so much good in the world and I am certainly not a researcher. I don't think uh, a Nobel Prize-winning researcher could come up with a formula that could quantum, that could capture the the impact that she is making. It's
2: it's really tricky, and I think cash is a funny has a funny role in uh, at least the development side of effective altruism. Because uh, if you look on GiveWell um, and you they have cost effectiveness rankings, and you can see, you, you know they use cash as a benchmark. And so everything is multiples of cash. Um, and so cash as a benchmark means, uh, every other intervention there they have put there because they think it at least beats, uh, this question of, uh, what if we just gave them the budget? Um, and when you sort of try to quantify it, you come up with pretty big numbers that like something like deworming or animal aerial nets is, uh, is quite effective. Um, but, uh, Something I think I underappreciated until I was living in Kenya is there is a role for our giving and do-gooding that should be uh, us trying to come up with clever ideas and sort of solve really tricky problems where maybe we have extra information. Uh, But there's also a kind of role for humility and uh, sort of respect for the person you're trying to help. Um, And especially as, you know, young white dude living in Kenya, I really liked that. Uh, the thing I was doing was not trying to bring some cool idea to the venters of the world, but it was to say, you guys already have a lot of ideas. Uh, There's a kind of fundamental unfairness that a lot of money ended up over there and not here. And we'd like to deliver it, um, deliver some of that back. Um, And so how to kind of build a giving portfolio with that in mind of, you know, how much should I be spending with my best ideas versus the people I'm trying to help uh, that stuff is all, Yeah, putting together a a sort of theory of how to do that or how to quantify that is super hard. Uh, I I mostly empathize a lot with the people who uh, try to do that. It's tough.
0: I kind of got the sense that um, a lot of people I was talking with that, and this might be too um, intangible, but that maybe for the first time they had an opportunity to kind of dream, to think Mm -hmm. about what, would I want to do uh, now that I don't necessarily have to worry about um, having enough money to eat um, or to meet my basic needs? Like what, what do I want to do? And and some people were kind of, I think I met one guy who was kind of floundering in that. And and he probably uh, was uh, drinking too much. He probably drank too much before he ever got money. He's probably drinking too much now. Um, but he was, at least he was spending that money at the local bottle shop or whatever, you know? Uh, but uh, you know, other people like this, this one uh, girl who was, uh, she was a teenager and she wanted to be an airline pilot. And Mm. as you know, as I've traveled around to some of the poorest places on the planet as an American, when you're interacting with kids, often you're like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Little kid. And I have learned not to ask that in some places because people like they haven't thought about it. And, um, mm. uh, and, and, and when I was traveling around the villages, of kidney visit and give directly, I've got the sense of that they had taken that step towards. Yeah. Now what, 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 what does, what, what does the future hold? What, what do I want out of life? Not necessarily just thinking, well, I want to do what my parents do, or I'm going to, uh, you know, work on the farm, or I want to do this. That like, they feel like it opens the, their world to more possibilities. We're
2: we're actually a study that's coming out. I think next year was trying to look at this question. Um, it was uh, building on this study that, that folks did in Ethiopia that found a kind of weird result, which was if you show people just an inspirational video of people from circumstances like them exceed succeeding in kind of normal ways. They don't become Warren Buffett. They become a sort of successful member of their community. Um, Sort of a year plus later, you can track measurable differences in how those people are saving, investing education, things like that. And so it's a kind of nuts idea. um, And a one that I don't know personally, I think is very not give directly, you know, it's this idea of like, Oh, the gap is uh, an inspiration problem. Um, But we then worked with those researchers to do a study in Kenya that showed some people, just the video in some villages, uh, in, in other villages showed people the video and gave them cash and in other villages just gave them cash and sort of compared those groups. Um, and then measured in addition to the sort of normal stuff around how well are people doing, um, some of these questions around, uh, what do they think is possible in their life? Um, cause I, I agree. I do feel like there's a, um, you know there, I feel like it's a thing that's very associated with Silicon Valley these days is like what if money was no object, or you know what's the ten billion dollar of your company look like, or how would you a hundred x this um, and and something about like doubling somebody's income uh in a year i I think should have that effect um, and so and we'll see on the research side but but I, but I agree there's a kind of an element of that.
0: One of the villages I visited that was not uh, give directly uh, program, but I visited uh, Sauri, or Bar Sauri. I don't know if you're, I'm probably not even pronouncing it correctly, but it's where the Millennium Development Villages program took place. Hmm. And uh, they, you know, they had been there. I'm sure you're probably aware of the Millennium Development Goals, and this is uh, a village that uh, you know uh, Jeffrey Sachs took Angelina Jolie into, and celebrities were coming into, and this was the. Little village, it was gonna change the world and they had unlimited experts, they had nearly unlimited resources. I showed up a year after uh, Millennium had left and I asked one of the former mayors, how's, you know, how are things? Um, And he's like, well, you know, how are things since Millennium left? He's like, well, marginally better. We have some roads that are still around but we're really looking for our next Millennium Development Program and the they tried to turn uh the program into co-ops and there was a co-op of of dairy farmers that had 3500 members when millennium was there and they gave them free uh, or interest-free loans and once they left the the co-op had to start charging interest and it dropped down to like less than 100 members and and it was kind of disheartening that you had people that were the most ex you know the most heralded experts in the world on development and and how to help people and it didn't really seem to make a whole lot of a difference and people were just kind of looking for who could help me next um mm. do you worry about creating a uh culture of dependency or kind of just the nature of the give of give directly's work of people who are kind of you're not leading it to the experts you're leading it to people themselves to determine how to best um, improve their lives and develop their communities
2: yeah i my hope is that it's much more of the latter that uh um, in basically all of the for the different interactions we have with the villages where we work, there's scripts, you know, there's scripts for our initial town hall meeting, there's scripts for the sort of one-on-one surveys. And most of those sort of try to explain the um, the sort of nature of it being unconditional cash, the sort of no strings attached piece of it as, so it's up to you guys, you know, that there's no, um, there's no extra training. There's no, we don't have a plan for you. There's not going to be, you know, depending on the schedule, we sort of communicate, these are the payments, after that, it's it. Um, and, uh, you know, this is a big chance uh, for something. And, uh, you, know, you know, it's up to you guys to sort of spend however, you're, however you think is best. Um, and so, I, I don't know, my hope, uh, and actually this has been studied a little bit, I'm remembering, is there is one study that just, for an equal budget, basically, if you give somebody livestock or you give somebody cash, um, what are their feelings about autonomy, um, and the people who got cash sort of felt a lot more autonomous felt more like uh, individuals planning uh, li- li- planning their own lives um, That study didn 't actually find a big impact difference um, as in it 's not like the sort of economics were all that different um, um, in that place, but there was a sort of difference in how aid felt um, w- which I think is kind of important for um, I don't know, especially the sort of bigger things you do you know, the, if you make a millennium development village, how aid feels, I think is a pretty important piece of it.
0: Yeah. So uh, you, uh, I visited a program that was the uh, uh, lump sum where people mm-hmm. got the equivalent, I would think of about a thousand dollars over the course of a year uh, in two different payments. And then the UBI, do you, are you, are you seeing one of those kind of uh, is more effective, then the other, do you think that Give Directly will continue doing these two different ways or is it ultimately gonna become more of a UBI focus or is that a question that's still out there?
2: I think mostly it's a question that's still out there. Um, uh, in, in part, we'll have our first UBI results out next year. Um, I, I think we're, we're, we're certainly moving more towards you that uh, regardless of the specific cash structure doing more universal uh, approaches versus trying to target, um, it has still seemed that within uh, the UBI communities, uh, there still seems like a pretty strong pre- preference for large lump sums. Um, in part, they're doing their own kind of social financial engineering to turn the, the UBI into lump sums. Um, and um, that's certainly not uh, unanimous, but it still seems like that's where the preferences. Um, and then I think for, I don't know, the role of a foreign nonprofit, it, it's tricky. I, I I sort of think that the kind of one-time capital delivery, it, it's easier for to square with how it should give directly interact with local government and local communities and things like that than a, a constant permanent presence. Um, but we'll see, I think if people feel, um, Uh, I don't know. One thing you'll probably see from the UBI is uh, in those villages, malnutrition is probably going, I'm going to look down, making the prediction, but malnutrition will probably tank Uh, that uh, if you give people enough to buy food every, every month, um, they're probably going to buy enough food every month. And so uh, I I think it will highlight some kind of tricky trade-offs around, do you want to enable big, big investments? Do you want to, um, Make sure that nobody starves. Do you want to? It's a bunch of uh kind of tricky philosophy questions that I, I'm not looking forward to dealing with. um And but my guess is we'll probably do both for the next few years, and then try to uh, understand what people want more. uh By peop- by that I mostly mean the, the people who are giving cash to what they want
0: more uh, and what works best. So to some extent, lump sum could help you reach. Um it's easier to reach more people because you give these people a lump sum and you go this place, give them a lump sum and then this place a lump sum where UBI uh, you are kind of married to this community for a while and, and it probably allows you to reach fewer people than because you have such an established relationship with one community. Is that, is that correct or not?
2: Yeah, certainly the way we've sized things so far. And so, Lump sum, you're giving about $1,000 to a household. Each household has about five people, and you can just move from one to the other. For the basic income villages, the ones that are receiving 12 years' worth, it's coming out to about $3,500 per adult. And so a household might have two or three adults. Um, And so it's a lot more money per per household. and, and then, you know, the sort of staff time, I think, is a smaller piece of that. But we end up spending a lot more time with those folks. Uh, it's a lot more call center calls and things like that if you spread it out over 12 years.
1: Joe, do you – I'm not going to jump into politics here because Kelsey will strangle me when he sees me tonight. Um, but are you seeing any interest from or or has GiveDirectly had any contact or – Um, made any effort to start pushing into the realm of, of how to get our representatives and senators to pay attention to these studies or, you know, how it affects public assistance and and, uh, social programs in the United States. I know that's not your focus, but are you getting interest or
2: have any, have any um, education going there? It's funny. We definitely do get the interest. I think in part, uh, most of the uh, experimental evidence on the effects of cash, every every government does cash, or most governments do cash. We have social security, we have welfare. There's the Alaskan government, and and we have a tiny social, social safety net relative to a lot of other governments. Uh, but the places that actually have experimental evidence on the effects of cash transfers is mostly the developing world, um, and so especially mm-hmm. as basic income is has gotten more in vogue. I feel like I'm talking more and more about the develop, developed world um, just because um, people end up sort of coming to us for, wait, what's the evidence on this crazy approach? Uh, as if it wasn't sort of around us constantly. Yeah. Um, I also I, I do feel like you're seeing I don't know, on the margins more of a uh, I, I guess the other thing I'll say is we started the basic income project in large part to try to pull the conversation that was happening there back into, wait, we actually know a lot about the effects of cash. It felt like it was sort of happening in a vacuum of like, there is this crazy idea of what if you just gave people money? Um, And uh, that's something that like, actually is pretty well studied. and, And we should understand this specific form of giving people money, and whether it's better than others, and whether it's worth the bill, and stuff like that. But we should approach it um, first as an empirical question, and second as one empirical question that actually has a lot of evidence on it. And so, in part, we've tried to choose our projects to um, speak to those issues, um, uh, while still sort of kind of doing the main thing we do. Hmm.
0: Um, yeah. I, yeah. I, and ha-
2: go ahead, Jay. Go ahead, Kelsey.
0: No, you go ahead, Jay. You're buying dinner. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, God. <laughs> This is going
1: to be, this is going to be a discussion this evening. Um, so where would we go? So if, you know, we want to do the this social media assault on this and, and, uh, Kelsey and I get in that mood every once in a while <laughs> to put a lot of stuff out. Um, what is there, are there, are a lot of the links on give directly or what other websites or places to consume some of the science would you recommend?
2: Yeah. My favorite, uh, I'll give you my, my top three papers and uh, maybe we can put this in the show notes or something like that. Um, uh, and we're working on a, a redo of the website that includes all these on the site, actually. But uh, The first one is, a, is from the Overseas Development Institute. It's a think tank in the UK. And um, they did a meta-analysis, a kind of review of all of the evidence on cash and ended up summarizing 165 rigorous studies on the effects of cash. Um, and I like that one because I, I think, in part, because a lot of people still view give directly as like it's this crazy experiment. Um, you know, it's the sort of new thing, and we'll find out if it works or not. Um, when it's really kind of an old thing, um, and yeah. it's pretty well studied. It's not a silver bullet, um, but you know, the sort of evidence you have on it is you can make a pretty good bet on on, on what's going to happen if you give people cash. And so I like people to point to go there first for a, this is the overview of the whole body of evidence. And then you can start to put other studies okay. in that context. Um, the world bank has a review of 19 studies on uh, one of the most common questions, which is don't they just drink it? Um, <laughs> and so they looked at studies that measured uh, consumption of tobacco, alcohol, gambling, um, and it's 19 studies across the world and found, People either spend the same amount as they were spending before on alcohol or, if anything, a little bit less on average. Um, And there's for sure always the sort of case of the guy who uses it to go wild. But on average, that's that's what's happening. Um, And then uh, the third one that I recommend a lot came from uh, actually at least one of the folks who just won the Nobel Prize, Abhijit Banerjee, and maybe also one of the others, I'd have to double check. Um, But it's called uh, debunking the myth of the lazy welfare recipient. Um, And it's a roundup of the studies of cash transfers that looked at uh, work effort. And so this is, I think the other top question is, won't they just stop working, sit on their couch? Um, And so that's actually also been pretty well studied and people have done time use surveys to try to understand if you start giving people cash, where do they end up spending their time? Um, And at least in the developing world, what this roundup found, it was summarizing six or seven studies, uh, was that people either work the same amount or maybe a little bit more. Um, And I I like those studies because it it first um, forces the conversation into the realm of testable questions. I think people uh, with giving in general and especially with cash have a lot of just uh, sort of like strongly felt theories about what humans are like. Um, and it, and it can feel like you hit a, hit a sort of a by you know, a sort of dead end where you can't then talk about it anymore because that's just sort of what they think. Um, and I like sort of saying, well, that's actually a testable question. And, uh, luckily enough, that's actually been tested quite a bit. And so we, this is the sort of what we know so far about it. Um, so those are my top three.
1: Yeah. People tend That's great. And Kelsey, you got to put those in the show notes, but this time actually do it. Okay. (laughs) Um, Uh -uh. so I I do think that's interesting because they are testable questions. They're things we should continue to test and we should create policy and um, run good government based on the answers to some of those questions. And as those answers evolve, we should evolve our approach. I I do think what I hear from people a lot is they use anecdotal evidence. They use the the one guy they know that is doing, you know, uh, X bad behavior because, you know, he's been given money or, uh, you know, he doesn't like to work or whatever the situation or stereotype might be. Um, a lot of that is race based sometimes I think, but people use that anecdotal evidence and say, here's an example. And then they use anecdotal evidence the other way to say, well, here's an example of somebody who should not have been successful. That was, and that proves that anybody even in Kenya can come up and, you know, uh, start a company like Apple. Well, that's just not the case. And that's why I think I, I like to share and want to share some of these studies because they're interesting reading and they're important for us to learn. Um, and you know, back to the Kelsey's good people equation and how he and I are striving to, to get there, which we never will, but uh, understanding these things and figuring out how, um, you know, at least governments and how uh, social systems work and how we contribute to those things or degrade those things, I think is an important part of that hmm. um, because we can affect people by making good choices about uh, how those things are applied. So that's very helpful. Thanks.
0: I think sometimes we're looking for excuses of of why not to give and it's, it's studies like this and. The analysis that you're doing at give directly that that kind of take away some of those excuses that people kind of lean on of uh, yeah. why not why not actually to give but, well uh uh Joe, we really appreciate you taking the time uh Is there anything else that you'd like to to add or leave us charged with or
2: uh, <laughs> the only thing I can think of and uh cut this if it's dumb. Uh, uh, is uh, I listened to the, uh, is microfinance the shake weight of development? Okay. And I was trying to think of what are cash transfers uh, in uh, athletics yes. or... uh please, I love this. Um, yeah. And uh, the best one I could think of is it's something like cash transfers are... CrossFit. A pair of running shoes no. <laughs> or they're a barbell, as in it's the kind of like simplest almost like dumbest thing that we know we should at least be doing a lot of. And yeah. it's the thing that the evidence says works pretty well. It's not the sort of hot new thing that in five minutes a day make, extends your life 50 years. Uh, but it's a pretty reliable, well-proven, well-studied thing. Um, and so it's the, it's the boring thing we should keep going back to is, uh, is, uh, is my pitch.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. I appreciate you listening. That's, that's awesome.
2: Um, I really enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to, uh, I've got the, the White Savior episodes queued up.
0: Oh yeah, those are those are some those are some good ones. Early on, the the audio is really really bad in the first couple, and it's not it's not improved a ton since then. But just st- stick with <laughs> us. But the White Savior ones are uh, maybe a little bit long because I don't like to edit. I just like to have conversations and then don't edit a whole lot. Um,
1: they, they certainly are challenging. They're they're good to listen to. Yeah. So yeah. Anything
0: anything that kind of puts me back on my heels and questions like. Preconceived notions or um, hmm. past behaviors. That's why I kept finding myself thinking about, "Well, wow, this one time I was in Bangladesh and and I, I did this, and now I'm questioning my own privilege." And and uh, I, I just, uh, yeah. So anyhow, the the running shoes of uh, the world of development, or and or the the barbell, uh, give directly. And Joe, for uh, leaving the hedge fund behind and putting your heart and soul. Into this work, uh, you are definitely good people. We appreciate you coming on.
2: Uh, Well, thanks a lot for having me. This has been fun. I'm sorry I'm missing dinner.
0: Yeah. Oh Oh,
1: well, Joe, if you decide to show up, I'll buy. How about that?
0: Okay, so that was Joe, and he's he's uh, in Japan now.
1: Yeah, he did he did leave. On vacation. Right after that, yeah. Yep. He's yeah. gone. Yeah. Good. Well, I hope he felt good about his work right before he left on vacation.
0: Yeah. I, so a couple of things stand out for me about Joe and and Give Directly and, and one of them was that when he said like this isn't a radical idea and it's kind of what we led with with the George W. Bush or George yeah, George W.'s yeah. tax you mm-hmm. know the, the 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 stimulus the stimulus yeah and you know the earned income tax credit like there's all these examples mm-hmm. of governments giving, giving money. money yeah to, for whatever reason yeah to people yeah and it's not this radical idea and to me when i first came across give directly i was like what we're going to give money giving to money? the poor and i cuz i had all those narratives in my head of mm-hmm. like the the million dollar, you know, uh, the millionaire panhandler or whatever. Right. Um, Yeah.
1: Yeah. Which isn't, as you said earlier, isn't really the case. But yeah. And I like, he was insistent about it. It's like, look, this is not, this is not crazy. Right. We're not handing out heroin to people. Um, We're going to people that need something, something that can change their lives. And we're giving them money. And then we're studying that on the back end to see how it does. Um, I like that they statistically looked at the villages. They looked at the people in the villages, and then after they gave the money, they analyzed the frequency and the rhythm of the money and then met with people and talked to them about it culturally, what they were doing with the money, and then measured the result.
0: Yeah. So when I was in Kenya, I think one of the really interesting things for me was that it wasn't just like people were like, I'm buying more chickens now or I'm doing this or that, uh, that they had formed like giving circles. And Joe talks about this a little Mm -hmm. bit where they would all – you get like twelve people, and you would all take your money from that month or your lump sum, and you would put it all together. And then once a year, it would be your time to get all of that money in one place right. at one time. So it's kind of like a, they kind of formed their own bank, a little yeah. bit, a way to save money and not just spend it all. Yeah, uh, there was school. There was a school in the community I visited where um, they had paid for some of the construction of the work by doing a collection among people who participated in this program. And they had the means to do that. So it wasn't like they were just looking after themselves and their family. They were actually investing some of what they got back into their community.
1: Yeah, that was the part that struck me when I read the the 83-page the paper that you didn't read. There's a test coming. Um, but that it wasn't just the receivers that had benefit. They they noticed marked improvement of uh, quality of life and um, the sort of income that was across multiple groups. Um, you know, if they gave to one family, the four families that lived around them saw a similar impact, not the exact same because the money wasn't one for one, but it brought everybody up. And I wondered, and we talked about this in the call, how much of that is... Um, is cultural, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I've been reading. Uh, well, I've been reading the book Tribe that you yeah, gave me. Mm-hmm. Who's the author Se- of Sebastian that? Sebastian Younger. There you go. Um, but he talks about how wealth tends to be more isolating. I don't. I don't need you, Kelsey, because I have enough money, and you don't need me. Well, I just you gave have you a book. <laughs>
0: It's a small book too. You got it. It's a a small
1: book, so I don't feel that I don't feel it was all that gracious. You give me a Harry Potter book, then I I feel something for you. But um, uh, money is isolating because when you you and I have our money. So when we leave here, you're going to go to your house with your kids. I'm going to go to my house with my kids. We don't need to share food tonight. We don't need to share housing. We don't need to share clothing, anything like that. But I wondered if either by country or by community or by culture. The Kenyans in these villages say, hey, this group's coming in and they're giving us money. Let's talk about this because I want you to survive. This is the way it would be for us if we lived in some small area and didn't have anything. I would care about if your kids were getting enough food and you would do the same for mine. And I just wonder if that's part of that equation. But that outcome is something I didn't expect. Mm
0: -hmm. Charities Aid Foundation does a world giving index every year. And um, Kenya ranked third on it in 2017. I'm not sure where they're at this year. I was researching where am I giving. Right, then. right. Um, and I had, I had traveled to Kenya, and the big news from this study in 2017 was the rise of, of giving in African nations. And they thought it was a couple of different things. They thought it was cultural. Um, there's also the proximity to need hmm. that... Um, you see it more often, yeah. So, like in the United States, the, country, the the states that are the most generous that give the highest percent of their income are basically the poorest states. Mm-hmm. Right, they're more likely to help people, more likely yeah. to give them money. And in Kenya, there's, um, I have a quote here from a story I wrote. Um, the woman that worked from works for Nuru International. She said, "Sharing is cultural trait with Kenyans." Um. And there's there's actually on their like country flag or their logo there's this uh, um, this idea of a uh, so, concept called a Harambee H A R A M B E E. So Harambee means all pull together. It's on the Kenyan coat of arms. And one person described it to me, she said, "I think the Harambee spirit has inculcated." That's not a word I use very often. No. In Kenyans, a strong sense of giving. People traditionally view individual pressure as a matter that should concern the whole community. So in many communities in Kenya, people gave materially to other community members under distress. Post-independence, I think this took a totally new dimension as people looked to improve the education of their clansmen in the larger community. Wow, yeah. So would it have that same impact? in the United States.
1: That was my question. Yeah, that's a good question is part of that, that cultural Harambee that, that they believe in and is born into everything they are. We value independence a lot in this country, right? You're not a burden on me. I'm not a burden on you. Great. Kelsey's a Kelsey's good people because Mm. of that. Um, I'm not, it is interesting too, to, to talk to and meet people out that we know and friends of ours and say, you're not as generous as a Kenyan. Mm. They'd say, what? I give money to church every week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're still not as generous as a yeah, Kenyan. I'm not. Yeah. I know it. Mm-hmm. That's just fascinating to me. We should start doing that. Just walk D- around Let's walk out people. of here and go do that. Just walk over to... Uh,
0: <laughs> the, the Guardian, the, oh. the beer place. Walk right so right out right
1: at the bar and start talking to people. Um, yeah, so I think that, I, I did think that impact was was fascinating. And then you start to think about if that, if that, um, the give directly model was played out as I know they're across the globe um, and people gave enough money in that they could fund this in i mean i don 't know how you quantify the number of villages and the, the sort of uh, um, need that exists how, what if we what if they did that what if they could perpetrate that across all of those places yeah. and then what would happen to those and the businesses that would start and the countries that mm-hmm. would repair and um,
0: um, it's good work, and how, how would it work in the United States? And I think Stockton, California is experimenting with a universal basic income, and I don't know how far into it it is. Um, mm. but to look at this all as an experiment with data of what right. is best for people, right? Yeah. yeah, as opposed to here's how I feel I feel yeah. like people might waste their yeah, money, they're
1: gonna be lazy. That's I know people that are lazy, you know, somebody on welfare. That guy down the street, I see him all the time going to buy cigarettes. I drive to work every day and I see people coming back with 24 packs of really bad beer. I see it almost every day. Now, I can look at that one person and say, see, probably on welfare. I could take that view or I could say, well, I don't know where the rest of their money's coming, going or what they're, where they work or what they're doing or why they have to try to deal with problems that way, right? Um, but um, it, it's just a different way of looking at things. And the statistics show that that's not actually what's happening, mm-hmm. but that can be your perception when you see that, when you see that person walking by with mm-hmm. bad beer.
0: Well, you take, you take one, one instance and you kind of let that reflect how you feel about Yeah,
1: it. I'm telling you, challenge yourself to do that. Bring up, and I know there's different applications of this stuff like we talked about, but bring up welfare to somebody and they will immediately start telling you about how people, they know people that don't do anything, or they all, you know, so and so's, all he does is buy pot, mm-hmm. right? There's always an example. I see it all the time. You get the welfare queens
0: thing and all, yeah. this, all that comes up really quickly, and everybody's got examples yeah. of it. As I got more engaged in the Muncie community, uh, volunteering with an organization that worked with people who live in poverty, what I saw, and I think about in my travels in Kenya. I met a guy who founded this organization called Nuru, which I quoted a little bit ago. Uh, his name is Jake Harriman. He was a Special Forces Marine. And he's like, I see what these farmers are facing. And I don't know if I would have the strength mm. to do what they do.
1: Right. And
0: And that's kind of the feeling I had volunteering here in our community when I saw people who were living in poverty who were having to – send in different reports and paperwork and figure out the, how the whole it's, just, it's like a full-time job. Yeah. And then there's so many other things in their life, uh, that have them in the tyranny of the moment. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I would have the strength yeah. to do what
1: they do. It's a hard, it's a hard life. Yeah. I mean, the, the, um, book that I told you about, um, living in bootstrap America, Um, talks about that. She says, you know, life is so hard. The reason I buy cigarettes is if I get five minutes to do something for me, I do it. Mm -hmm. It's something that helps me escape from (laughs) everything else. Um, And it makes a lot of sense to me. I can understand it at least.
0: Yeah. But to kind of wrap this up and kind of look back at our first 20 episodes a little bit, um, there's this idea that I think a common theme is that People need to be in control of their own change. It can't be outsiders who come in that tell people what they need. Here's what you need to live a better life. Yeah. People themselves need to, and that's what Give Directly does. It kind of empowers them to make their own decisions. What does my community
1: need? Right. This, that does seem to be a common theme across many, many of these episodes is, is people taking responsibility for their own, um, their own villages, for their own people with help, ideas and money from the outside when needed. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that is what Griff directly is doing. They're not bringing in, you know, a staff of people that are going to stay in that Kenyan village for the next six months yeah and help them do this and do that and do this they're basically empowering them to then take advantage of all the things, all the all the personalities and leaders and a culture that their village mm-hmm. has already and become the best them they can be.
0: I mean, it's locally led change. Right. The people who can make the biggest difference in a community are the local people. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I feel like that's what's really interesting about Give Directly's model Yeah. is that they allow people to do that. Yeah.
1: That's something to consider as uh, – um When you, part of the other reason you wrote the book and why we've had this podcast is if I have time, if I have an hour to spend or I have a dollar to spend, where where do I spend it? Um, And it seems like this is, this one makes a lot of sense for, for a lot of people, especially if they want to have an impact in a way that is managed and cared for.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. They're very high ranked in givewell.org and to, to give, to give directly, you go to givedirectly.org to learn more. And they also have a lot of their resources and studies there that have been done. And, and they're really transparent, more transparent than any organization or corporation that I've reported on before. So go there check it out. Think about giving. Awesome. Thanks for listening to the Good People Podcast. Special thanks to my friend Jay Mormon for co-hosting, and to Cliff Ritchie for the great tunes. You can listen to Cliff on Spotify or find him at Cliff R I T C H E Y Art Let's keep the good going. Please share, rate, and subscribe. We'd love to hear from you. Visit kelseytimmerman.com goodpeople slash good people to find show notes, suggest guests, learn more about my books, and tell us about the good you are doing in the world. What
1: want. She's heading to the grocery. She's sending me lists. I want to bring us some key lime pie.
0: <laughs> With cool whip. In Cool Whip. Yep. Are you? You love key lime pie? Oh, I don't like it. Reminds me of Key West. Okay. You Do not like key lime pie?
1: It's all right. Yeah. It's one of the lesser pies.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's like. It really is.
1: Yeah. Lemon pie. Lemon lime pie. I feel like any cr- any
0: cream pie is a little bit like of a lesser pie fruit yeah. is where it's at in yeah. the pie yeah realm for sure yeah
1: yeah i had a strawberry white chocolate pie we used to make when we first
0: got married oh i gotta find that recipe strawberry and white chocolate
1: yeah oh it's like sliced strawberries and then you drizzle it with white chocolate mm. graham cracker crusts and cream cheese underneath that Ooh. so it's my
0: good. mom makes her own crust no, fuck that. and it's really she up all so the, good it. so good so good but it takes forever no, just buy it. You can go to the grocery. I know, but they're not as good. <laughs> this extra ingredient of love, <laughs> and I'll eat it tomorrow because tomorrow's Thanksgiving at the Timmerman. It is. Yeah. Oh,
1: the Timmerman thing. Mm. Yeah. You know What time you guys starting?
0: Because I don't have anything. You coming over. I'll be there, Mom. Saturday love too. Love to have you. I don't know what time it starts. We got a You're recording. Oh, let's go. We'll put this at the end. <laughs> yeah. Good. <laughs> or pie we'll do a whole episode on pie because it makes you feel good if you're going to be a good person you got to feel you got to feel good gotta eat your pie mm-hmm. got it all right